And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection where faith and reason intersect, sometimes collide, but often complement each other. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here at Mother Angelica's Mothership, where it all began back in 1981, thanks to Mother Angelica and her mission. Email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at ew10.com, central to the program. And of course, check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, themagiscenter.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and spitzercenter.org. And for Father Spitzer's Universe, it's always available on our EW10 YouTube channel and our EW10 On Demand page. You've got to become familiar with those. You can watch anytime. And while you're there, on that on-demand page, you can check out Behold the Man, Spirituality for Men with our good friend Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. He provides an authentic Christ-centered spirituality designed to help men live out their true vocations as husbands, fathers, and of course as men. That would be helpful. See it now and see it for free, 24-7 <laughs> and on-demand. And our topic today is the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church from Father's wonderful book, available of course through the EW10 Religious Catalog. If you haven't picked it up, please pick it up. And speaking of another wonderful book of the month for October, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism, Catholic Questions Protestants Can't Answer by our own John Martinoni, well-known to people on the network with his blue collar apologetics. And speaking of well-known, we turn to the one and only Father Spitzer, and we welcome him in again. <laughs> Great to see you, Father. And uh, if you Great could, to be with you, Doug. Absolutely. And if you could kick things off with a prayer, that'd be great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of our ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole team, and all of the audience members, so that everything we do and say and hear will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, and St. Francis, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. And so, of course, uh, there's a lot of news out there, especially things related to the Synod, which, of course, if people stay tuned to EWTN over the next couple of weeks, and our CNA and our news team uh, will bring you all the information you need to know about that. Uh, speaking of one of the people whose name has come up in relation to this and, and in other stories before, uh, Jesuit Father James Martin in an article here quoted in the Register, who will attend the first session of the mm -hmm. Synod on Synodality as the participant appointed by Pope Francis said that without a doubt there are many chaste and celibate gay priests in the church. It's important for that to be said. And he go on to say, uh, this priest, known for his pro-LGBTQ activism within the church, said that those who prepared uh, the documents for the Synod on Synodality have told them that half of the dioceses around the world have mentioned the need for greater welcoming and inclusion of people in the LGBT community. I guess what struck me was not this statement in a sense about the uh, being inclusive and being open and, and things like that we've heard, obviously, in the churches. Uh, obviously open to anybody to, to work with anybody and to, and to show mercy. But I thought the thing was interesting that he was making the point that many of the these quote-unquote what he would call gay priests are chaste and celibate. Well, isn't that what they're supposed to be? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, well, I'm certainly happy <laughs> right. uh, because 
that is what we are supposed to be, and, right. and that's a good thing. Right. So, uh, good. Uh, I don't know why you would receive uh, special recognition for it, but mm. I'm glad that they are, and, and I think it's a good thing. Right, absolutely. That's what just struck me. It was kind of one of these things like, uh, well, I, I thought that was supposed to be what's okay. happening. We're we supposed to uh, <laughs> cheer that. Uh, yeah. Another story sem somewhat related. This came from uh, a story about uh, Father Hans Zollner. Uh, celibacy is not a direct cause of sexual abuse, according to this Jesuit uh, expert. He says, all scientific mm -hmm. reports, including commissioned by non-church institutions, conclude that celibacy itself does not lead to abuse. Therefore, it's wrong to say with the abolition of celibacy, there will no longer be case of abuse in the Catholic Church, which studies have indicated before that that's the case. He, he went on to talk about yeah. regarding the profile of an abuser. He said that, and uh, the Jesuit said, uh, there's not only one, there can be many different reasons that leads to a person to commit abuse. And he highlighted four, the narcissistic abuser, the obsessive, the insecure, mm -hmm. and the true pedophile in the sense of psychiatric uh, definition. Regarding seminary formation, the German priest noted that it is key and is necessary that this very important stage of their lives, they not only acquire knowledge but also skills, they must learn everything necessary to lead a healthy life at all levels and develop their future priestly ministry well. So I, I just thought that was uh, an interesting, I mean that, that's kind of been a perspective that's been put out there before, but uh, certainly that's oh, yeah. where celibacy sometimes becomes the bogeyman on this when there are many other oh, yeah. uh, reasons why this happens. No, that's right. And I mean, uh, uh, alas, uh, celibacy is uh, not the, the, the culprit at all. Uh, you know, obviously, narcissism is a big problem and can move in that direction, no question. Uh, the obsessive uh, person, probably a little... Um, uh, more rare, but uh, the the pedophile, the the real pedophile, mm -hmm. though um, much rarer than the other three, um, that person could do multiple mm -hmm. offenses. I mean, again and again, and uh, very good at avoiding detection. Um, and that's where you really have to be so careful now. I mean, with the there's a battery of psychological exams that are given mm -hmm. when a candidate applies for a seminary position. However, um, at the end of the day, you really have to watch it in seminary too. A lot of people can beat the test and mm -hmm. uh, get around it in a multi, uh, you know, really in multiple ways. And so you just have to be on the lookout. Uh, but the, uh, the real pedophile is the, the person who pretty much, at, at least the literature is now indicating, is not curable. Mm -hmm. And to try and say that it is curable is for us to be, um, you know, uh, delusional really right. and uh, and that's going to get us into a whole lot of problems right. again right. Uh, I do think though that extreme narcissism has its problems and uh, of course an obsessive personality uh, could get involved in such things but generally it does it doesn't go right. in that direction but right. uh, narcissism it can but right. the true pedophile is is that's the the, right. the difficulty the challenge and and finding it before it becomes you know right. uh, you know <laughs> Uh, you know, again, it's huge abuse problem uh, that the church has had to deal with. Right. And, and, and of course, with pedophiles, you're talking about prepubescent, but a lot of the actual quote-unquote abuse cases that the church has had to deal with are post-pubescent, which would not lead one to, to see that as a pedophile problem, as you indicated. 
Yeah, and the the other thing too that um, you know when you have somebody who is abusing an adolescent, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you know in a, in a uh, um, well an uneven relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know these kinds of things. Again, they're hard to detect, mm -hmm. but there are a, a, a series of signs that can be uh, looked for. Um, you know, people who are in authority in the seminaries, uh, people who are in authority in apostolates, are, are actually trained to watch these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, possibilities. For example, grooming behaviors and things. Uh, here in our diocese and in the Jesuits, we do have um, a course we have to, to take. Um, you know, it's not a course really. It's mm. a it's a series of of uh, tests and and readings. Um, and videos that we have to watch and then uh, you know you take a test at the end of it and you kind of year by year mm -hmm. uh, you get acquainted not just you know with respect to um, the law but uh, you know if a person is responsible for a ministry or children within a school etc you have to be completely right. acquainted with mm -hmm. all of these things you have to be signed off now and you have to be able to keep your eye peeled uh, for uh, you know somebody who's doing some grooming activities or other kinds right. of things, which if you're on the if you really you know can uh, you, you, they begin to manifest themselves. You can't keep them hidden all the time, mm -hmm. and so um, you know you're trained. I, I think right. right now pretty much all of us right. as priests are trained, uh, you know, to look for these behaviors and to report them immediately uh, to the authorities. Right. I think uh, up until recently, people didn't really understand that whole process. And many times in the past, they were mistaken for particular interests or relationships or whatever, uh, a goodwill yeah. uh, kind of a situation like that. But then after yeah, when it comes out, exactly you can right. look back and see and say, oh, okay, now I can see uh, the times where, you know, this this was happening, but I wasn't aware to look for it. Now exactly. hopefully I am. Okay. Another story, British study. Mental health of one in three kids on puberty blockers re reliably deteriorated, okay, their health. A new British study of minors mm -hmm. who were given puberty blockers found that at least one-third of them showed reliably deteriorated mental health. It found that a majority of the children put on puberty blockers and hormone drugs experience erratic fluctuating mental health, including over a third whose mental health deteriorated. The study showed conflicting results from one that had been conducted about 12 years ago by a group called the Tavistock Gender Identity. Um, they had been giving out 96% of their minors they had been giving puberty blockers to. And it turned out that, uh, that prior to closing, because they've closed, uh, multiple of their employees and former patients sounded the alarm over deeply controversial practices. They said, and this was the old group, most have pointed out that children and their parents were often denied informed consent as staffers rushed children onto puberty blockers after only three of four meetings. And they're the one who came out with the report saying how wonderful they were. And the Wall Street Journal, uh, to close out, reported in June in the United States is becoming an outlier among many Western nations. I think we talked about this earlier, in that government officials within the Biden administration are pushing forward with controversial transgender policies and practices while the rest of the world is backing off. We talked about that before. Oh, yeah, we did. I mean, I, you know, I comment on all, all all three of those areas. The first thing, of course, is the reason that the British have completely reversed their mm -hmm. position on using puberty blockers with pre-pubescent uh, pre, uh, uh, children uh, and with even adolescents 
um, the reason that they have is because of the deteriorating mental condition. What they don't tell you is deteriorating mental condition does not just mean a sharp increase in depression and anxiety uh, to uh, you know almost intolerable levels, but a very sharp increase in suicidal tendencies and of course uh, the anxieties that come out in real antisocial aggressivity. Uh, those things are very much part of the problem. You can't, as I keep saying to people, you can't inject uh, a boy with uh, the hormones of, of for girls or a girl with the hormones that were meant for a boy. Every single cell in their body has receptors. You know, if you have a Y chromosome or you have two X chromosomes, right, uh, you, you know, you have a whole bunch of different receptors there, a whole different way in which the cell interacts with the hormones that it gets. It's supposed to get the ones that were intended uh, for the uh, genetic construction of that cell. So, I mean, basically, if you start pumping these non uh, uh, or even anti-hormones um, uh, uh, in, into this body with cells that are uh, oppositely disposed uh, to those hormones, uh, by the time they get to the brain and to the spinal column, uh, what you're dealing with, of course, I mean, people, I mean, one-third is very conservative. It's very conservative because they're talking about sharp increases in depression and anxiety. Whereas, you know, if you talk about moderate increases in depression and anxiety, it'd be much higher uh, uh, percentage of people have a quote-unquote deteriorating condition. And so uh, all I can say is this study is absolutely right. You should be absolutely concerned because when you put somebody into a deteriorating emo uh, mental condition, it's also the deteriorating emotional condition. You're talking about huge increases in depression and anxiety. It's cruel. That is the only word for it. We shouldn't be doing this. And as we have said again and again, Britain's changing their mind, Norway, Finland, Sweden, everybody's changing their minds. But the United States, no, no. Uh, we're going to commission our own study so we can kick the can down the road even longer mm -hmm. to delay, uh, I guess, to appease the Biden administration. I'm not sure what the, the point of having another, yet another study. I'm sure the American study will be so much better than all those Northern European uh, studies. Uh, we really need to commission. We can't take any action on something that clearly is affecting adversely, mm -hmm. significantly adversely, half the population that receives the hormones. Uh, I mean, what can I tell you uh, other than, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is irresponsible, it's medically unethical, and the fact is it's cruel, and at the end of the day it's unethical under any circumstances. It's, it just should be stopped. Right. The, the, the Europeans are doing the right thing, and the Americans, in this case, I hate to say it, at least part of our medical establishment, are being blockheads. I mean, I just can't even imagine how, how you know, the um, American mm -hmm. Obstetrics uh, Association could possibly, uh, you know, delay looking into this seriously for yet another mm -hmm. study. I mean, uh, it, uh, unbelievable, simply right. unbelievable. Right, you just don't know whether, you know, uh, they've really been co-opted by uh, basically those pressure groups combined mm -hmm. with maybe the... Uh, the drug manufacturers, so to speak, uh, you know, kind of a two-way and a little uh, pressure from on top. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one from of the stories. High. Right. There you go. Before we get to uh, <laughs> some questions from people, um, 
The cardinal-elect Stephen Chow, who's uh, Hong Kong's new bishop, uh, said on Thursday uh -huh. that, that evangelization in China should focus on communicating the love of God without the agenda of turning them into Catholics. He goes on to say, and this is a registrar, I think it's important to say, as Pope Francis made the distinction, evangelization is really help people understand the love of God and the love of God without the agenda of turning them into Catholics because that shouldn't be the focus as the focus would be very restrictive. Uh, he said, uh, you know, the distinction between proselytism and evangelization. Evangelization is essentially witness, um, as, as the Pope had mentioned to the Jesuits in Mozambique a couple of years ago. Proselytizing is convincing, but it's all about membership and takes your freedom away. Now, I, I kind of have some sympathy for a, a, a bishop or a cardinal in China uh, having to be cautious in about exactly what they say. But when it gets to the idea just of saying, you know, evangelization, if the Catholic Church is the church that our Lord founded, isn't that the f total fulfillment of becoming a Christian? And shouldn't that be the ultimate goal? I mean, without nobody's forcing anybody well, yeah. that I know of. Are they? Yeah. Well, no, nobody's forcing anybody, that's right. for sure. So right. I don't understand that dimension of the comment. Right. But what I also think, though, is, you know, whenever you're you know, doing evangelization, you have to think of it along three levels. Uh, you know, I mean, for, uh, you know, when I, we do it at Majas, right, our, our attempt first, you have to get the kids to believe in God and right. Jesus. Right. So that's our first, you know, objective. And, yeah, of course, you know, we're, if, if a person doesn't believe in God, I mean, trying to give them things about the Catholic Church that might be convincing is going to be very difficult. So, you, you know, you do, you do have to do some of what we call general evangelization. Mm -hmm. The love of God, yes. The existence of God, yes. Uh, the consistency between God and the universe, yes. The existence of an afterlife, yes. But at some point, you also have to get to the fact that there is a dark force out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the fact is you can talk about love, which is true. God is unrestricted love. There is no question about that, um, you know, in, in, the, in the revelation of Jesus in my mind. Mm -hmm. but, the, the, but secondly, though, there is this dark force out there. And to pretend like the dark force is not there, this evil spirit, this Satan is not mm -hmm. there, this is a very bad thing to do. And, and I think right now we've got a, a, an evangelization which is only telling half of the story of our lives. I mean, it's telling the story about God, but you also have to say there's some non-God spirits out there and there's some non-God people out there and we generally call them evil. Now, the minute you get to the second stage of evangelization, most people have some sense that there's evil out there because mm -hmm. they've been crushed by it. They've been depressed by it. They go to sleep at night. They're feeling pressure on their chest and they're feeling emptiness and alienation and loneliness. They're getting boxed in. They know that they have done things for which they feel guilt and they're all little Yosef K's, you know, Franz Kafka's The Trial. They're okay. out there feeling this sense of guilt and malaise, they, but they have no right of forgiveness or ritual forgiveness. They've got no graces to overcome it. So the first thing is, yes, of course, we need to do general evangelization. I'm totally mm -hmm. in favor of that. But at the same time, 
We've got to tell them the whole story that there's evil. I actually had a lady stand up once in the middle of a talk I was giving, you know, during the question session, say, how can you possibly say to teach young people that there's an evil spirit out there? They have enough problems of their own. And I just snapped. I just snapped. And I just said, Miss, I, I have to tell you, if you don't tell them about evil, they're going to have a lot more problems. Right. They don't even know what they're facing. What do you want to do? Say, oh, yes, go to war. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to tell you how to shoot the gun here. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, this is uh, uh, unbelievable what, what, what is going on. So I just said, no, no, no. You got to tell kids the whole truth. Don't baby them mm -hmm. because they're going to find out about evil soon enough. You want them to find out about evil in a Charlie Charlie game? You want them to find out about evil as they're uh, playing with their tarot cards? You want them to find out about evil uh, when they're getting a Ouija board? You want them to find out about evil when they're uh, sitting there w with some friend who's casting a spell and stuff? You want them to find out about evil when they start producing, uh, you know, start uh, living and, and following a very, very evil life style and find themselves, of course, wanting to break away from the church and finding these little impulses in their lives where they want to let narcissistic impulses just rule their being and they don't even know why they're changing into this kind of unruly, you know, sort of egocentric, uh, you know, a narcissist that they never were before. You're going to wait until they're so deep into it and they can barely turn away from it. This is nonsense. The second phase of any evangelism is you got to tell them the truth about evil. It's there. It's present in all of our lives. It's present in our culture. Are you kidding me? Uh, just the, you know, the, the subject of transgenderism. You know, it's not just psychologically and emotionally unhealthy and cruel. It's evil because it is being done with malice of forethought for money and for political agendas. That's evil. And so at some point, you got to mm -hmm. say, hey, let's call it what it really is. There's a dark spirit out there. Now, then you get to the third phase of evangelization. Because once a kid recognizes, and kids know, you know, you know, you can try and convince them, oh, the boogeyman's not real. Mm -hmm. Okay, the boogeyman's not real. But something that you sense that you're calling the boogeyman, namely you sense the presence of a malevolent spirit out there, that's got some validity, all right. Now, of course, you don't want to scare the child, mm -hmm. do anything like that. You got to say, okay, you know that, no, there's no boogeyman's under your boogeyman under your bed, and so forth and so on. But at the same time, you've got to be, you know, when they get into high school. You have to be truthful. When they start getting into their adult lives, you have to be truthful. You know, Ephesians 6, 12, right? We are not just dealing with, you know, flesh and blood issues here. We're dealing with principalities and powers and dark forces and all kinds of things. You, you just got to get right to the point where we got to call it. No, once you call it, the question then remains. And the kid recognizes it. The kid knows people who've gotten into the Ouija board or have gotten into... Uh, some kind of a, uh, a you know an evil or a, a deleterious lifestyle mm -hmm. or have found themselves uh, you know following into uh, a real malevolent lifestyle filled with uh, darkness and cruelty and you just say well wait a minute yeah I, I know this kid or I, I felt it myself I felt that emptiness that alienation that loneliness at night I feel that malaise and the, that, that sense of guilt and, and cruelty you know that I can't get myself out of then you say third phase of evangelization. Okay, 
you got to get some help. I'll tell you who the help is. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the help. He came to defeat evil and to bring the kingdom of God. He's our help. And what's the best kind of help we can give? The help he gave was the church. The help he gave was his teaching mm -hmm. that he would have interpreted by the church. The help he gave was the sacrament of reconciliation. John uh, uh, 21, 21 or whatever. I, I mean, uh, uh, um, yeah, uh, I think it is. Anyway, so the, the, the help that he gives is the, uh, uh, the, the, the Holy Eucharist. That's going to break the spell of evil. That's going to keep him away, mm -hmm. uh, keep the evil spirit away. And then the life of holiness that's a consequence with living with the community in the church, that's what's going to happen. What's not being said in all of this new evangelization, I mean, it's, by the way, I, I think it's a chimerical distinction anyway to mm -hmm. talk about, you know, uh, you know uh, one thing is, you know, evangelization, another thing is proselytizing and so forth and so on. I mean, we're just cutting fine hairs here. But the thing is, you're going to talk about evil, you're not going to talk about evil. You're going to mm -hmm. talk about sin or you're not going to talk about sin. What's the deal here? If you're not going to talk about it, don't call it evangelization. Call it, I, I don't know, a gospel of everything's going to be all right, mm -hmm. and you're loved, and you don't have to worry because there's no bad guys out there. Uh, just everything's going to be okay. Just mm -hmm. pat them on the head and give them a good feeling and let them go. But if you're really serious about evangelization, you got to talk about evil. And if you're talking about evil, you got to talk about sin. That's the way Jesus did it. Jesus gave us everything we need in the Catholic Church to defeat it. He gave us the Holy Eucharist. He gave us a sacrament of reconciliation. He gave us his moral teaching. He gave us a church community to support us in every imaginable way. And I guess if we take advantage of all these things, not I guess, mm -hmm. I know, if we take advantage of all these things, I mean, the evil spirit really has very little power over us. Oh, don't worry. If you try to pursue sainthood, he'll try and beat you up. There's no question about that. He'll try and give you nightmares every time you make a significant move, uh, you know, toward moving toward the church or moving toward uh, Jesus Christ or moving toward holiness. He'll come try and beat you up, but don't let it get to you. You know the prayer to use. You know, in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. Just mm -hmm. keep saying that. In the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. Finally, he'll go away. His little emptiness tricks, his alienation tricks, his malaise tricks, his guilt tricks. Mm -hmm. Tricks. Uh, by the time you're done, it'll go away. Mm -hmm. And of course, he can't touch you if you're receiving sacrament of reconciliation, the Holy Eucharist. I mean, so you know, right. there's nothing to worry about. The main thing is, is he's there. Either we admit it or we don't. True right. evangelization admits it. Fake evangelization does not. And of course, uh, you know, I look at all these other things. I just say, get to the bottom line, you guys. When you're talking about evangelization, you're going to talk about evil and sin, or you're not going to talk about evil and sin. You're not going to talk about Satan, or you're not going to talk about Satan. If you don't want to talk about Satan, uh, you know, I don't think it's true evangelization, uh, because Jesus, you know, was always talking about Satan. And he right. said, you know, basically, he said, you got to watch out for that guy. And he talked about, you know, a wailing and grinding of teeth. He talked about the seduction, uh, the seductions of Satan. And he talked about you know, the, what, what happens in the darkness of sin and how it destroys your life. And some people listen, right. some people don't. Right. But to keep it hidden, right. to give a gospel message which doesn't say, better be careful, mm. to give, you know, the old thumbs up good feelings, but no right. other side of the story, 
right. that's not Jesus Christ's right. evangelization. And of course, you know, do I want to get membership in the Catholic Church? If it helps people to prevent uh, Satan from dominating right. in their lives, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I would say, therefore, membership in the Catholic Church, it's not to get membership. Right. That's not, it's not an end in itself. The end is keep you out of the grip of Satan. And don't think for a moment he's not at your elbow mm -hmm. trying to convince you that everything I'm saying right now is just a bunch of baloney. Well, right. you might, if you hear that going through your mind, right. uh, just think of who might be that little instrument through which that's being heard. I'll just leave it at that. Right, absolutely, and that—that's the part I, uh, you know, at one time in the past, you know, when you had kings, uh, people would, you know, all convert because the king converted. But this idea that that there, there's some sort of oppression being forced on people uh, against their oh, will yeah. to uh, yeah. become Catholic or something else, uh, maybe some other religions have had that uh, more recently or continue to do it in certain parts of the world. But I don't think that's really an issue. For the Catholic Church, no. but we're also dealing with the kind of the itching ears out there in some ways too, right? I mean, people listening yeah. to another gospel, you know, that's uh, without the cross, oh, yeah. maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without the cross and without Satan. Yeah, exactly. Right. Absolutely. With that yeah. being said, yeah. we are uh, going to take our break. Of course, stay with us. You stay there too, Father. And we're going to take our break, and right. we will then get into your questions in the second half of our program, and also into our topic about moral wisdom. Stay with us. Father Spitzer's universe as we continue on. Just wanted to mention one thing. There's the Men's March in Washington, D.C. this Saturday, October 7th, and it's at 11 a.m. You may want to find out more about it. It's called the Men's March, all one word, dot com. You can find out more about what that is all about. And speaking of what things are all about, of course, we have Father Spitzer, who stayed with us to take some <laughs> questions from our audience. The first one, dear Father Spitzer. I want to thank you for your dedication to the faith, but also for your pursuit despite your disability. It amazes me how you've flourished after your loss of vision. I'm faced with the same probability and it sometimes incapacitates me. It's amazing to witness how the Holy Spirit can work through you and keep you inspired. Also, I enjoy your thoughtful and introspective responses to questions. I'm praying for you regularly and I hope you continue to spread God's word. Aristine or Aristine. Well, gee, thanks is all I can say. <laughs> That's just about as nice of an email as you could possibly have sent. And I would also hasten to add that I'm very grateful, too, uh, for your recognition uh, of the uh, blindness problem. But, you know, that's really a grace. Don't get too frightened. Mm. Even at the prospect of, of losing sight, God really does take care of you. And as, and as you know, the sight decreases, uh, you know, you can sort of figure ways of getting around it as, as it happens to you. And, you know, God, as I said, he does take care of things. Mm -hmm. And finally, ultimately, you know, I, I went completely blind. And, 
and uh, you know, you know, I've got things sort of positioned correctly mm -hmm. so that I can deal with it, you know, in a in a reasonable way. Uh, obviously, I, I you know takes a little longer when I go to the airport, right. which I go to frequently. Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, it, it takes a little longer because you have to arrange for somebody to take you to the gate or something like that. I uh, can't do it on your own. But mm -hmm. aside from, you know, little inconveniences, somebody will have to take me up to the stage to do the talk or whatever mm -hmm. it is. I mean, it's really, it's not bad because, you know, you can get your Alexa to read anything to you now. I mean, uh, the, she'll read any Kindle book. Mm -hmm. And then just about everything's on Kindle. So you can just, uh, you know, say, you know, Alexa, read this Kindle book. And mm -hmm. she's so good now, you know, you, you can practically hear it. And plus, I got an iJone. So, right, uh, absolutely, I mean, even office, better. So. That's, a, that's <laughs> a unique one. That's right, the wonderful Joan Jacoby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, well, so, so uh, God provides. Okay. We'll see <laughs> yeah. how many people's be, be Alexa responded help. to your uh, you're calling out her yeah. name from your TV from the TV. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so here, here's another question for you, dear Father Spitzer. We watch your wonderful yeah. show in England. Data suggests half of all pregnancies for young women and girls below the age of 25 in the UK end in elective abortion. There's been a virtual media silence on this significant fact. The British Journal of Psychiatry has been twice under pressure to withdraw its July study that found women who had undergone abortion experienced an 81% increased risk of mental health problems. While on your side of the pond, a recent study came to very similar conclusions. Why do you think we're refusing to address some of the root causes of mental health or even face the data? Diane and Pete from the UK. Well, Diane and Pete, uh, here in the United States, of course, there's Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. um, they have uh, uh, their own sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, analysis um, uh, uh, institute called uh, the Guttmacher Institute. Um, no pun intended on mm -hmm. that name. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, uh, the the Guttmacher Institute has denied post-abortion syndrome for years. Um, what this study that you are talking about from uh, uh, the British Journal of Psychiatry, the Priscilla Coleman study, mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, the reason they can't really withdraw it is, how do you withdraw a study that has three quarters of a million women in it? I mean, that's oh one of the best studies you're ever going to get anywhere at any time. Wow. So the first thing is, is you know, let's face facts. Uh, you know, that study is a super study, mm -hmm. and uh, even Cambridge uh, has published uh, the results of that study on their on their website. Mm -hmm. So the, the the first thing to to note is that there really is an 81 percent increase uh, in uh, uh, in the um, mental uh, uh, deterioration of women, or at least emotional problems in women. Uh, who have had an abortion. She goes on to further specify in that study mm -hmm. uh, with a four times greater rate of suicides, a 2.5 uh, times increase in suicidal contemplation. I think I'm pretty close to the studies. Uh, I think it's uh, like a two times increase in substance abuse, uh, whatever it is uh, for mm -hmm. depression and anxiety. I forget the exact statistics, but oh no. I mean, there's definitely uh, abortion is not good for women's emotional health. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now, you, said, you asked the question, why would that be, uh, why would people try to shut it down as well as the, the, the three new studies in the United mm-hmm. States? Why would people try to shut those down? I think two, two reasons. Number one, um, the, the women's movement and the uh, women's movement lobby is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And of course, abortion is a huge part of their agenda, both politically and um, uh, culturally. Mm-hmm. So of course, they're going to be putting pressure um, on uh, not only the television stations, uh, but even try to pressure mm-hmm. the academic uh, institutes like British Journal of Psychiatry or, or um, uh, Cambridge uh, website. They're going to try and uh, uh, pressure them uh, to get that study off because it comes too close to mm-hmm. the truth. I mean, how can you do a study with three quarters of a million women? How far off could she be? Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it's pretty clear this is a big problem. And they do not want abortion bad for women's emotional health, like four times increase in suicide. Hey, you know, something is really wrong here. Mm-hmm. And the point that, um, uh, you know, I think I'm trying to make is they're definitely going to try and keep that hidden. Because if they can't, you know, try to, uh, there's no, uh, you're not going to get a, you know, commission another study bigger than Priscilla Coleman's. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did a checkmate right out the gate. So I, I think the, the main right. thing now is uh, keep it hidden is the best they can do. But I think that can't be hidden for long. And even though the Guttmacher Institute still will not admit any validity to this, uh, the fact is that's in their best interest. The second big reason that I think, you know, they try uh, to keep that hidden is because uh, all of the, the you know, the, uh, there's a lot of political ramifications with abortion. But the main thing, you know, is if abortion is not just killing children, which mm-hmm. it is, I mean, let's face it, um, at the end of the day, if now it's kind of killing women, no pun intended with the suicide statistic, uh, it's pretty negative out there. When you have abortion as your central political platform, uh, you, you gotta keep that hidden. Because if you don't, it's really gonna harm a cultural agenda mm-hmm. or uh, you know a, uh, a political agenda that has abortion at its center. Right. And so I think that's the real reason right. uh, why this is going right. on. They There's mask a real it under rights. ideological a, battle going right. on. Right, they mask it as a rights issue. Right. Yeah. That's how they hide. Exactly. But, right. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. That's a good point. Right. Absolutely. Another question. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I'm studying medical ethics right now and would like your input on uh-huh. gene editing. Are, gene, are germline uh-huh. cells ethical? Oh, gene editing of germline cells. Yeah. yeah, there's a big literature on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, gene editing, you know, there can be all kinds of reasons for gene editing, right? Uh, I- including, you know, helping people uh, with my eye disease, retinitis mm-hmm. pigmentosa, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. That's okay. But uh, when you're uh, editing, you know, germline cells, you just have to ask yourself uh, the question, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're doing... Um, uh, you know, uh, if you're doing anything like harvesting, mm. right, um, you know, uh, uh, fetuses or fetal tissue uh, to try and create uh, new kinds of tissue or mm. something of that nature, forget it. I mean, th- this is clearly unethical on a whole range of mm. issues. Um, and um, so, th- so that part of it. Now, if you're talking about gene editing, in other cases, but the germline, you know, that's real early on, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so basically, 
there's a whole lot of gene manipulation stuff, a whole lot of harvesting of, of um, you know, uh, fetal tissue, a whole lot of harvesting of, uh, of, of um, um, uh, embryos mm -hmm. uh, for the express purpose of uh, using them uh, to create, uh, you know, um, stem lines or other kinds of things. Uh, you know, you know, to help yeah. older people, as it were, kill the younger person to help the older person. Sounds like a, a real sensible, uh, ethical uh, thing to me. Just kidding. Uh, but I mean, the point is very clear. Uh, I would just say most of the germline stuff. Whoosh, I would be very, very suspicious of it. Okay. Just look at where it's going. Look at what's being done in order to do this thing. And you can almost say it's best to leave it alone. Okay. You know, the, what's the gold standard right now? Uh, you know, if you, if you have a, a, a disease and you need some gene editing uh, to cure, let's say, my disease, retinitis pigmentosa, uh, then do what they do at, uh, you know, the uh, University of Iowa clinic. Just take some stem cells from uh, underneath the uh, uh, the tricep there, from the fat underneath the tricep, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, you can actually turn those adult stem cells. You can push them back to a pluripotent state, mm -hmm. and then you can um, uh, use those pluripotent um, um, uh, stem cells. Mm -hmm. You can use them, uh, for example, to implant within uh, uh, you know a, a person's retina to replace. Uh, you know, degenerated or atrophied rods and cones and things of that nature. So, you know, um, uh, that's the gold standard right. now. There's not going to be any chance of rejection. There's really no need to be doing these kinds of germline editing things unless you're really doing experimentation, harvesting of fetuses, harvesting of tissues, all the kinds of things we know mm -hmm. are just, I mean, it's, they're so, you know, killing, you know, babies in order to get tissue or creating you know stem lines to do these things totally unnecessary you know it's the frankenstein right. you know i want to be god complex right. you know that's that's going on here uh, and and really the gold standard is sitting right in front right. of our noses to turn our own adult stem cells incapable of being rejected practically speaking turn them into a pluripotent or a totipotent mm -hmm. cell and uh, you know plant it on in right. there and and uh uh, you know, you're golden, as it were. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think uh, you're, you're right on the marker. Uh, skip that kind of right. germline editing. Okay, uh, other kinds of gene editing for the sake of de disease creation can be okay. Sorry. Okay, yeah, no, that's okay. Right. And I'd be remiss if I didn't since we talked about th this. Uh, so, uh, yeah. the, the Iowa, uh, are you relating to something that maybe you're looking into? Or what is people after, after a while uh -huh. ask on the status of what... Where, where you are with uh, your eyes? <laughs> well, I, you know, there's three possibilities uh, for me, but I think I can get one ultimately. Um, at the University of Iowa, there, that's the, uh, um, the gene editing, that's where they would mm -hmm. create uh, from my stem cells mm -hmm. uh, a pluripotent cell or a totipotent cell, and then they would plant it in and hopefully create rods and cones okay. uh, that, by that means. Uh, because, of course, it can be transformed in just about any kind of cell type. Um, and then uh, there's a second method called mRNA uh, uh, channel uh, rhodopsin um, uh, therapy, where you take some uh, very light-sensitive, um, you know, um, uh, enzymes from algae, uh, and you can plant them by means of an mRNA 
uh, method uh, onto the retina, and mm -hmm. if they take uh, properly, uh, that could actually give you uh, uh, very good uh, capabilities in many ways. Mm -hmm. I just got a, a new uh, possibility the other day. Oh. Uh, a wonderful Italian physician um, has uh, indicated that he uh, would be willing to uh, look at me with respect to um, uh, getting, um, uh, basically it's a, a retinal prosthetic, a mm -hmm. prosthetic retinal, retina, excuse mm -hmm. me, and that uh, pro, uh, be, basically be a, a, an electronic uh, a chip uh, oh. uh, of sorts and um, you know that would also be able to, to recreate. So I'm trying to look okay. at the various options that are out there, uh, but I think uh, very, very soon mm -hmm. uh, I may qualify for one of them. Uh, for various reasons, but I mean, all three of these things, uh, I mean, they're moving in on retinitis pigmentosa mm -hmm. and other kinds of diseases, and very, very quickly the technology right. is abounding, and you don't have to use any um, germline editing, you don't have to use any embryonic stem cells. I mean, adult stem cells, are, um, if you're going to go that route, are the way to go, but there's even other substitutes um, other Correct. than the stem cells themselves. Okay, we'll keep you in our prayers, of course. Uh, moving on to oh, the, the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, page 30 on the bottom. You talk about the evidence for the perspective of a cosmic struggle between Christ and Satan. I thought that is a good follow-up to one of the questions oh, yeah. there before. <laughs> yeah. and, and about yeah. the idea yeah. of, of the church, uh, you know, sharing the good news and initiating his church was also the defeat of Satan and his minions. So, and, and you talk yeah. about that, but a lot of people say, well, didn't he already defeat Satan? How come if... Christ overcame Satan, why do we still have to continue to fight him as you've described? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, one word answer, freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, the, uh, uh, the fact is, is that Christ, of course, has definitively defeated Satan. Mm -hmm. He can never win an ultimate victory. And he knows that. I mean, he knows he's defeated at the end of the day, uh, that he will be consigned uh, to his own little uh, private uh, uh, place in the in the lower realms, if uh, we might use the metaphor, and so uh, he knows this already. He knows also that he doesn't stand a chance uh, to to win against any of us if we make recourse mm -hmm. to the sacraments in the church. He can't win against any of us individually if we remain faithful to Christ, receive the the sacraments, and and try to live according to Jesus' teachings, as it were, stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. The basic thing is, is uh, you know, Satan can't, can't get us ultimately. Uh, you know, the power of absolution has already been put into the world. The mm -hmm. power of Jesus' uh, body and blood and its unrestricted love that just blasts away the power of Satan is already in the world. Right. He can't win. But human beings are still free. Mm -hmm. So a human being can say, well, I don't want to go to church. Or, well, I don't want to believe in God, or I don't want to have anything to do, uh, you know, with uh, Jesus or his moral teachings. I want to do my own thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or, uh, I, you know, I don't even believe in, in the evil spirit. I mean, my thought is, uh, you know, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, and by the way, uh, if I come back in about five years, uh, uh, let me ask you the old question. How you doing with that thought? You know, I mean, because I'm telling you, the minute, you know, you uh, sort of blast through the, uh, uh, you know, off the launch pad there, 
uh, you know, by saying, you know, I don't believe in Satan or I don't believe in any of these things and I don't have anything to worry about. I can invent my own religion. I can just be in my room and pray to myself and I don't need any church. I don't need any sacraments. I don't need any moral teaching. I'm me and I can, uh, you know, fix myself up and get myself all ready to go to heaven. All I can say is that's a gigantic invitation mm -hmm. uh, to the evil spirit to say, welcome to my world. What was that mm -hmm. Rolling Stones uh, song, you know? Uh, uh, let me introduce myself. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, right. of course, that's Lucifer mm -hmm. uh, who's, uh, you know, uh, saying this. And, and of course, the idea uh, behind um, all of um, Satan's strategies is to keep himself concealed. Uh, he, he doesn't want you to believe in him. He certainly, uh, you know, the idea of having an evangelization program that we we're just talking about, uh, that where you don't talk about Satan or evil, mm -hmm. he's saying, that's a great idea. That, that, that's exactly, you know, Satan himself is applauding it. He loves the concealment uh, as much as he can get, you know. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, my, my thought is, is, is we have to, uh, uh, you know, basically be very, very careful. We have to, you know, tell people, you know, there really is darkness and sin and evil right. out there. I j I'm just saying uh, one way to uh, keep yourself uh, really on the road and protected mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, join right. a church, the Catholic Church specifically created by Jesus would Absolutely. be a good idea. Absolutely. And that's, uh, so it's the idea is that we're not out as a membership club, mm -hmm. you know, Amway or something, you know, where, I don't know about Amway, I, uh, whatever it is, you know, where I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get or membership right, just right. to get yeah. memberships. Right. Yeah. 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 So. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, what did they, they used to say? You may not believe in Satan, but he believes in you. Uh, so you got to be careful. <laughs> about that, right. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's right. pretty good. I haven't heard right. that one before. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So yeah. uh, you also make the point on, on page 31 in the middle, you said we should be cognizant, and I wanted, and you made that point, of the superior power mm -hmm. and presence of Jesus our Lord, and he will help and protect us from mm -hmm. our spiritual enemies. So we shouldn't be, you know, running in fear per mm -hmm. se about this. We, we know yeah. at, the, at the end of the day he'll back yeah. us up, but we need to be careful. But this yeah. was, you also say earlier, he gave his apostles and successes the power to exercise demons, to forgive sins, definitively to actualize his body and blood and holy Eucharist. It seemed like for a long time, you know, the kind of the exorcism thing was, as they described it in the movie, The Exorcist, you know, Catholics still have it, but they keep it in a closet and they don't really talk about it. But it seems like mm -hmm. now in the last, I don't know, maybe it's the last 10, 20 years, that it seems like we hear a lot mm -hmm. more about that and even to some degrees a little more acceptance over the need for that inside the church. Is that your take? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Pope Francis has certainly opened that door, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I, I think the Holy Office would like to have uh, an exorcist in every diocese. Mm -hmm. uh, Pope Francis used to speak quite uh, openly about uh, the evil spirit uh, for a long time. I, I, I think he still does, mm -hmm. you know, as, as far as I can tell, you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm not reading everything all the time, but but basically, uh, I, I would have to say he still does, mm -hmm. and um, and the reason is is because it is so apparent now that if dioceses really don't have exorcists to help them out, uh, you know, and and they have people who are really trained in this, I mean, the the number of cases is going through mm -hmm. the ceiling, and it's not because you know people are 
uh, more paranoid about it is because people are really getting themselves in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, they decide to go to some person to help them cast a spell or to go to the tarot card thing. They start playing with the Ouija board. They get absolutely mesmerized by the planchet movement across the board when nobody's touching it. And they mm -hmm. think it's a great deal of fun. And of course, until they find out which spirit is moving that planchet, and it's certainly uh, you know, is and by the way, every, every Ouija board, uh, you you don't see God and the saints on on the cover of the Ouija board box, right? Uh, you see witches and things mm. of that nature on the cover right. of the Ouija board box. Now, there's a real reason for that because uh, you're consorting with evil, and you ought to know that. Mm. Uh, and and I'm glad they have truth in advertising on the Ouija board box. But people who right. they think it's a kid's game. Or they think it's you know some kind of a force in your fingers right. that does this right. or something. You know the the and whole thing is absolutely have that crazy. kind of uh, you know kind of feminist spirituality, Wiccan kind of white magic kind of stuff that gets pushed oh, that, too, yeah. right? Or kind of new age. Well, yeah, or you know, well the new agey stuff. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the white magic or mm -hmm. so-called you know. Uh, uh, white consorting with spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, if God, who is the real white force, the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, who is the real white force, if he's not, not uh, uh, going to work through Ouija boards, mm -hmm. if he's not going to be working through spells, if he's not going to be working uh, through a, a variety of, uh, you know, promised, uh, you know, gifts, of you know having sort of a knowledge of the future or having uh, the ability to to move things from afar to manifest real power over people's lives and things like that. Uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't operate that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you mean white magic? White uh, you know um, uh, you know uh, uh, white uh, you know uh, play Roma mm -hmm. uh, the the white uh, side of of uh, preternatural forces. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 all illusory. This thing, it's not white at all. Mm -hmm. If you're using tactics that are particular to Satan, it's dark. If you're using tactics which are particular to the Holy Spirit in Christ, then it's white. It's light. I mean, you get your point. You get get your choice, but, but you, you can't really have it both ways. Mm -hmm. You can't call something in and of itself like magic or, uh, and, and we're not talking about like a magic trick here right, right. at the, you know, the, uh, the fun castle, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, the magic castle. We're talking about uh, magic in the sense of we're casting spells or we're trying to get some kind of supernatural knowledge. We're trying to get some power over another human being or trying to get them to do something uh, that we want them to do, which is not necessarily in accordance with their will through some form of, of spell or something like this. This is all just, there's nothing white about it. It's just dark, 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 dark. The euphemism is utterly oxymoronic and mm -hmm. it uh, contradicts, self-contradictory. Right. And you, you just gotta stop it. I mean, that's all there is to it. Well, C.S. Lewis I mean, had it. You know, don't believe it. Right. C.S. Lewis had it right when the the bad witch was the white witch. Uh, so that was her yeah. name, right? Oh so. yeah. Okay. Oh yes. <laughs> right. Oh yes. That's right. She, as I said, the evil spirit loves to cloak himself, right. and if he can, as you know, Paul, Saint Paul told mm -hmm. us a long time ago, he loves to come 
appearing like an angel of light. Absolutely. But uh, he is not an angel of light. <laughs> he's definitely the angel of darkness, but he's got many tricks. And uh, of course, that's why St. Ignatius of Loyola wrote down his rules for the discernment of spirits so that we could determine whether this is a right. dark or a real Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Well said, and that's, uh, that's our point for uh, this week. If you'd uh, give us your blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great, Father. Absolutely. Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation and light, the Lord of true goodness, the Lord who is against the dark forces and who protects us in his love from those dark forces, send through his church, send through your following of his moral teaching, send the graces into your life and heart, the graces into your families' lives and hearts so that you can uh, truly move toward the kingdom of heaven and help others to do the same. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall talk to you next week. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are always available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. And next week's show, we'll continue the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church as we move on through the book. A bookmark this weekend was a fun one, From the White House to the White Cross with Peggy Stanton. Very interesting book. And we've got the Holy Mass on the Feast of St. John Henry Newman coming to you from the Basilica of Our Lady of Walsingham in England, Monday, October 9th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Check out EW10.com for showtimes in your area or go to On Demand after the fact. You'll be able to find it there probably as well. And you'll find us there as well each week and right here. So we shall see you then.